this morning, we're doing the Christmas scandal, the Christmas scandal. So uh, I want you to take just for a few moments, listen to the word of the Lord. And if you were here last week, we talked about the scandal of Elizabeth and Mary and how Mary went away for three months and came back and it looked like it was a scandal. And so um, how many knows the scripture says that Mary went away for three months to her cousin Elizabeth's house and she came back and she was found to be with child. That don't look good. How many knows being away for three months, coming back pregnant, that don't look good. Somebody say amen. So we looked at that last week, the Christmas scandal. And but this, today we're going to look at the Christmas scandal part number two at the Christmas story. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that you have for us today. We pray, Lord, that you would um, open our ears and our hearts, that we would hear and obey your word today, and that everything that's said and done will bring you the glory. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Christmas time is a wonderful time of the year. Christmas trees, lights, Christmas carols, Christmas cookies, cakes, pies. You get the point. It's a wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year for some people. Now, not everybody has that experience. Some people experience deep loss during this time. Some people look past or passed over their life and remember past regrets that they have. Or things that they could go back and change. Things that they could go back and do differently. Some people wrestle with guilt because maybe they didn't spend enough time with loved ones in the past. It's not the most wonderful time of the year for some people. This season sometimes is the most difficult season of all. According to the most recent survey, the most difficult season of the year is the Christmas season. More suicides happen during this time of the year than any other time of the year because people feel alone. People sometimes feel rejected. Sometimes people don't feel as though there's anybody there. Oh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. But there's a paradox to that. It's an oxymoron. It's, it's not the most wonderful time of the year for everybody. There are people who are dealing with hurts and there are people who are dealing with pain and struggle during this time of the year. And I believe that sometimes as a church, as Christians, sometimes if we're not careful, ladies and gentlemen, we can live in a holy huddle or a glass bubble, so to speak. And we think that the world is okay. We think that nothing is wrong and everything is okay and everything's hunky-dory. But ladies and gentlemen, the world we live in is a fallen world. It's a world that's been destroyed and ruined by sin. It's a world that's been bankrupt by sin. Humanity is depraved without Christ. We as believers, if we're not careful, we become part of the problem instead of the solution. We add to the problems instead of being the solution. You see, Jesus said in the book of Matthew, chapter number 5, He was very clear to His church that you are to be called the salt and the light of the world. You are to be sent into the world. 
You see, Jesus never called the world to come to the church. He called the church to go to the world. I'll say that again because I think that's of great importance. Jesus never called the world to come to church. He called the church to go to the world. It's very good. I think I'll say that again. The world was never called to come to church. The church was called to go to the world. And if you're waiting for people to come to church, you have missed what Christmas is about. We are called to be salt and light. We are called to be messengers of the Word. We are called to carry the Gospel to the world. You see, we are called to be part of the solution, not to be a part of the problem. You see, the problem is there's sin and depravity and guilt and shame and burdens and trials and tribulation and hurt. Those are all kinds of problems around us. But ladies and gentlemen, there are solutions in the Word of God. Sometimes those solutions are not overnight, but there is a solution. There is a solution. There is a solution found in the Word of God. And we as salt and light, we are to proclaim that there is still hope. And there is still forgiveness. And there is still salvation. And there is still healing in the midst of a world that is depraved. There is still a cross that bleeds. There is still a tomb that is empty. There is still a prayer that saves. There is still a stripe that heals. There's still a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. You see, Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, is more than the celebration of holidays. Oh yes, you see, Christmas, there's Santa Claus and gifts and trees and lights. And, but you see, it's so much more than that, and you know that. Christmas, at the very core, is about hope. That's what Christmas is about. Do you remember the story that's found in the pages of the Bible where the angels showed up on the Judean hillside and they begin to sing that song? Peace on earth and goodwill to men. But you see, before that song was ever sung, the angel said to that virgin, You shall bring forth a son, and ye shall call his name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. Did you hear me, ladies and gentlemen? You see, the angel said, peace on earth and goodwill to all men. But before, before they sung that song, they acknowledged there was a problem. The angel said, there's a problem. There's a problem, Mary. The world is full of sin. And you're going to have a baby. And you're going to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Before the angels sung happy birthday, and before the angels sung goodwill and peace to all men, the angel first acknowledged that there is a sin problem, and you're going to have a baby, and the baby is going to take care of the problem because he's going to be the solution to the problem. You see, sin is the problem of the ages, isn't it? We have dealt with the cobweb for so many years that we forget there's a spider loose. 
We try to deal with pornography. And we tell men, don't look at the computer. It's not good for you. We throw our computers away and put programs on it because we think all of those things will help us with pornography. Uh, And then we have problems in our marriage and we do this and do that to try to fix our marriage problems and somehow that works and sometimes it don't work and sometimes there are some good things found in some of those things that work, but if you don't get to the root of the problem, it will never be solved. And yet there's a drug addiction and there are more people on meth and heroin than there has ever been in the time of our history. People are searching for answers and solutions to their problems. And yet we, yet America produces the alcohol that America consumes on a daily basis, but yet at the same time, we build buildings to rehab the same people that we sell alcohol to. We have a problem, ladies and gentlemen. And yet we have dealt with the cobweb for so many years that we forget that the spider is still loose. You see, there is not a pornography problem or a divorce problem or a drug problem. There's not a problem with that. There's a sin problem. Those are characteristics of the sin problem. That is the fruit of the sin problem. If you take care of the sin problem, you will take care of the pornography and the divorce and the addiction. And come on, somebody, and the. But if you only deal with the symptoms and never deal with the root, then, ladies and gentlemen, you will go in an endless cycle of a bondage all your life dealing with cycles and never realize that the root of the problem is the sin nature that's within us. I wish somebody just helped this preacher preach. You see, we don't want to hear the Christmas story, but the angel said to the virgin, you will have a baby and you will name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the story of Christmas. That the angel came to the virgin and said, this baby is going to be the solution to the problem of humanity. Oh, hallelujah. Christmas is about a solution to our problem. Christmas is the solution to the problem of the human heart. Some of you are don't like Christmas. You become Scrooges. But you forget the real meaning of Christmas. The purpose is why it exists. is So you can sit down with your children and grandchildren and tell the story to the next generation. That a virgin named Mary, conceived by the Holy Ghost, born in Bethlehem, They named him Jesus and he grew up in the town of Nazareth, stretched out his arms on a cross and died for the world and became the solution to the problem of the human heart. Christmas is about hope. In the garden, in the garden of Eden, God talked with us. God 
walked with us. Did he not? In the ark of Noah, God protected us. In the temple of Solomon, God sanctified us. In the lion's den, God would intervene for mankind. In the fiery furnace, God would be the fourth man who would stand with His people. In the preaching of prophets, God would seek to redeem His people and rescue them from their own sin. But in the Christmas story, the incarnation of God Himself, God came to earth, He put on a human suit, and this time, this is the real Superman. He opened up His human suit, and His suit said this, He still believes in us. You see, that's what His t-shirt says. He still believes in us. In the Christmas story, ladies and gentlemen, God became one of us because He still believes in one of us. Look beyond the gifts. Look beyond the presents. Look beyond the lights and realize that the God of the universe, the God who swung the stars out onto nothing, and blew the planets into existence. Decided that he would become a human. Wrapped himself in mortal flesh. It's no wonder. It is no wonder the angels showed up on the Judean hillside. Because what do angels do when you see a mystery? when the human and the divine comes together on planet earth. Angels came out and they sang glory to God in the highest. It's no wonder that shepherds ran with haste to see if it was true. It's no wonder that a star appeared in the east and it boggled the minds of the intelligent. Oh, because what God was doing... 2,000 years ago was beyond human comprehension. What God was doing 2,000 years ago was beyond what you and I could ever imagine. God said, I will become one of them and I will walk like them. I will take on a human suit and I will feel their pain. Yes, I'm going to be human, but I'm going to be divine as well. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that God Himself can suffer and feel the pain of humanity, but yet He's God and He can deliver us out of it? Can somebody say amen? Somebody raise your hand and give God praise and glory. As a man, He can sleep in a boat. But as God, he can command the winds and the waves to be still. As man, he can become hungry. But as God, he can step on the Judean hillside and multiply a little boy's lunch and it would feed the multitudes. As man, he can weep 
with Mary at the tomb of Lazarus. But as God, he can command the four-day dead body of that dead man to get up and walk again. As man, he can die on a cross. As man, he can come through the birth canal of a 16-year-old woman by the name of Mary. As man, he can suck at the breast of his mother. As a man, he can play like other children. But as God, he can heal the sick and command the winds and waves to be still. As God, he can come on somebody. As God, he can die on the cross. But on the third day, he can resurrect himself from the grave. Singing, there ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. It's a scandalous Christmas. Scandalous. Scandalous to think that a virgin could conceive without having intercourse. It's scandalous to think that wise men would travel two years and follow a star and end up at a stable. Have you ever been there? You followed a star and it took you to a place you didn't want to go? Scandalous. Scandalous that an old woman by the name of Elizabeth, her cousin, would conceive six months prior. It's scandalous that people who desire power and prestige and honor would go to the extreme to kill all children under the age of two years old so they can sit on their throne. Oh, the story is mixed with scandal. The genealogy of Jesus have five women in it. The Jews never put women in their genealogy. And yet, the writer of Matthew put five women. Five, not just regular women, but a prostitute. And Tamar and Rahab, Bathsheba, women who were clothed with sexual immorality, and yet the writer, who is Matthew, made sure he put those women in the genealogy of Jesus. I don't know about this, but there's so much scandal involved in the story of Jesus, I have to stop once in a while, and I have to ask the question, what is God trying to do in Christmas? And I keep hearing God saying, you can't put me in a box. If you think I'm going to use that person, I'll end up using that person. <laughs> if you think I'm going to move over here, I'll move over there. You can't put me or define me to a category or a location or to a term in a dictionary. Because I take those foolish things of the world and I confound the wise. Christmas, Christmas, C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S, Mass, the liturgical worship of some churches, Mass, Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving of Christ. It's a season where we remember and we're thankful 
that Christ has come. Rejoice! Christ has come to deliver us from the evil one. He told the woman in Genesis 3.15, Behold, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman, and you shall crush the head of the serpent. Rejoice, Christ's point. It's Christmas. That means Christ has crushed the head of the serpent. Rejoice! He has bruised the head of the serpent. He has broken the power of sin. And He has come to set us free. Rejoice! He has come. He is, he is the solution to our problem. Why, church, why do you search after so many things and you haven't yet realized that the more you search for other things, the more empty and depleted you will become. Go ahead. Buy your houses and cars. Go ahead and work your job on Sunday. Work it till your hands become bony. Work till you lose your family. Work till you get another paycheck. Work. Go ahead and lose it all. Because if you put your faith in your job and cars and boats and houses and money and employment, you'll find yourself at the end of your life as a beggar, pleading for more, and yet up ending up with nothing in your life. And that's why Jesus said in the parable, you are a fool if you build houses and barns and put all your stuff up in your houses and your barns. Jesus called the man a fool. Oh, jobs, you've got to work a job. You've got, to have, you've got to have cars. Ain't nothing wrong with cars and houses and boats. As long as those things don't have you, you're okay. But the moment it becomes priority and you miss a little here, I'll stay out of church because I'll do this a little bit and I'll stay out of church, I'll do this. You'll find yourself empty and depleted at the end of your life. Searching for more. And yet, Jude said you're like a cloud with no rain, no water. Jude said you're like a banquet table but there's a spot in the feast of your charity. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first Him. And I'll add everything else you need. Ain't nothing wrong with having things. Ain't nothing wrong with working as long as it don't have you. Hallelujah. What are you saying, Pastor John? Oh, I'm almost done. I, I, I don't mean to preach so hard this morning, but every once in a while, the preacher comes out in me. Is that all right? Every once in a while, i got to tell you. i just got to tell you the truth. I can't let you leave this building without me telling you the truth. Because I know CNN ain't going to tell you the truth. I know MSNBC ain't going to tell you the truth. I know Fox News ain't going to tell you the truth. 
And bless God, Christ's point has to tell you the truth. Got to tell you the truth. You see, N.T. Wright, who is a great New Testament theologian, was preaching in a church several years ago, and he documented in his book as he was preaching in his church. After the service, he said, a well-known historian came to him, up to him after church. He was a well-known historian. This historian was famous for his skepticism towards Christianity. Very skeptical towards Christianity. He looked at the preacher and said, Preacher, I've finally worked it all out why people like Christmas so much. He said. I know why people like Christmas so much, he declared. He said, a baby threatens no one. So the whole thing is a happy event which means nothing at all. N.T. Wright scratched his head, thought to himself, is that the Christianity that we have produced? A baby that threatens no one? Ladies and gentlemen, anybody who reads the Gospel about Jesus and His birth quickly realizes it wasn't a postcard image. Jesus was a certain threat. He was a threat to the political system of Rome. And Jesus was a threat to the religious system. Oh, Jesus was a major threat. You, 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 you look in the pages of the Bible and you will see just how much of a threat Jesus really was. I'm not talking about a grown man. That baby was a threat. And that baby is still a threat today. After 2,000 years, the baby is still a threat. You go ahead and talk about Jesus in your workplace. You mention His birth and you will see what a threat He is. You try to put a nativity scene on a major highway or a major street in America and you will see how much of a threat it is in America. Jesus is still a political threat to our system. He was then and He is still now. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by. Yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hope and the fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. That sounds like a wonderful Christmas carol, but let me remind you something. The streets of Bethlehem wasn't so quiet so many 2,000 years ago. The streets of Bethlehem was the turf of King Herod. King Herod had his soldiers murder and massacre Babies on the streets of Bethlehem because he felt threatened that a baby might take his throne. Oh, you sing, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. But 2,000 years ago, it wasn't the case. 
mothers would cry and mourn because Herod sent his soldiers and took their infant out of their arms and massacred their babies in front of them. It's a scandalous Christmas. The scandal of Christmas is not necessarily the virgin birth. It's that God's redemptive work defiles the Herods of this world. Did you get me? You see, King Herod was the king during the time of Christ. And he was very threatened over this baby. Who was Herod? Well, let me just, I'm about to close, but let me just explain something to you about Herod. Herod was the king during the time of Christ. Obviously, he was a puppet for the Roman government. Now, King Herod didn't get the name king from the Jews because he wasn't legitimately a Jew. He wasn't even practicing the Jewish religion. The Jewish people was disgusted by King Herod. But King Herod was a barbaric type of man. King Herod killed his brother-in-law. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed his wife because he thought his wife was secretly going behind his back trying to take his throne and give it to someone else. And he killed two of his sons. This man is a barbaric type of man. You didn't mess with King Herod. Now, although King Herod was very cruel, very heartless, he was very intelligent and very smart, he was very ambitious, he built very great buildings in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, King Herod not only built great buildings, he also, uh, he also restored Solomon's temple. Magnificent piece of work. Not only was this man smart and educated, he was cruel and barbaric and heartless. Very ambitious, very self-absorbed. And Jesus was born right in this system. Right in in this middle of this political system, it almost sounds like, not too quiet, but almost sounds like the system we're in. People so self-absorbed. I wonder how many more selfies we can take of ourselves. What's the problem? King Herod... What was King Herod's problem? King Herod feared that someone would take his throne. And you know what the Bible says? I don't want to read all of it to you, but you know what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1. King Herod had a problem. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Somebody say, Herod the king. Behold, wise men came from the east, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have come and seen his star, and we've come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, why was everybody troubled with him? They were troubled because they knew he was barbaric. They knew his schemes. They knew his plans. 
They knew that if he found whoever this self-appointed king was, there was going to be trouble. So Jerusalem was an upset stomach because their king was upset. King Herod was nothing but a self-absorbed, egomaniac, narcissistic king who sat on the throne and wanted the praise and the glory of his own kingdom as he built the buildings around him. And the more he built the buildings and the more the people praised him and called him King Herod, the more it fed into his ego. And he wouldn't dare give up his throne to anybody. One day it all changed after 40 years. A report came that a king was being born. Wise men showed up to his house, and they didn't show up to his house for cake and cookies. They came to Herod's palace. Why did they go to Herod's palace? Because wise men wasn't thinking that a king should be born in a manger. They came to his palace thinking that maybe the king would be born in King Herod's palace. The wise men is there. King Herod so deceitfully said, verse number 4, And when he had gathered the chief priests and scribes and all the people together, he inquired of where Christ would be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it's written of the prophet. Let me just stop here and preach a little bit. King Herod knew the Bible. And yet he was one of the most self-absorbed people you would ever meet. Reminded of what Paul said. Knowledge puffs up. Just because you quote the Bible and you know more than me could be a very dangerous thing. Oh, he knew the Bible. They got all the scrolls out. Started reading it. Then Herod said, verse 7, Then Herod, when he secretly called the wise men to determine... Where the star would appear. What was he doing? Herod, verse number 7, was trying to come up with a scheme to find where this baby was because nobody is going to take his place. Verse number 10. Verse number 9. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star that they seen in the east went before it and stood where the young child was, and they saw the star and rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they come into the house, they saw the young child and his mother. They fell down and worshipped him, and they opened their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and presented to him. Verse number 12, and then they were divinely warned that they should not return to Herod, and they departed another way. Now, I know I've already said this last year, but it's my favorite point. They worshipped the Christ child, and then they were warned to go a different way. Worship has a way of redirecting your life. Boy, I wish somebody helped me preach right there. I said, worship has a way of redirecting your life. They worshiped him. And then they were redirected another way. Now, you know the Bible says in verse number 16, Matthew 2 and verse 16, and then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry, was he not? He sent forth and put to death all the male child who was in Bethlehem and all the districts who were two years and older and younger according to the time in which he determined from the wise men. 
this ruthless man said, I'll take care of the problem and I'll kill them all. Because nobody is going to take my throne. Now, Pastor Josh, what are you trying to say here? What is the scandal, all of this? I'm glad you're here because I looked at the Christmas story and I can't really relate to the Virgin Mary. Not a woman. I really can't relate to her and having a God child that, you know, that's kind of mystic and I just can't relate to that, but I'm very thankful for it. Can't relate to Joseph. Can't really relate to the shepherds because I'm not usually out in the field getting dirty. I can't really relate to angelic visitations. As I look at the story, I really believe the Holy Spirit is saying that all of us can relate to Herod. But you say, Pastor, he's a cruel man. Maybe not to that extreme. But I believe there's a Herod in all of us. What do you say? Anybody ever try to take your position? Somebody try to take your sphere of influence? Somebody try to tell you to do something you don't want to do? Somebody try to threaten you? We instantly want to be defensive and kill off everything that threatens us. Cut off people that come against us. Uh, if we're all truthful, we all got a little bit of Herod in us. You know, you know, Herod is that prideful man that you try to tell me what to do and you try to tell... I'll, I'll cut you off. I'll kill you. I'll give you the silent treatment. You know, it works in marriages. Husbands and wives do it. You don't do this. I'll withhold this from you. I'll withhold sexual relationship from you. That's called manipulation. The Bible says your body don't belong to yourself. It belongs to your spouse. Well, that was some good preaching right there. That's all manipulation right there. I'm just preaching right there. So, so what we do is we withhold stuff and say, I cut you off. You come against me. Anybody who comes against my kingdom, anybody who comes against my thoughts, anybody who comes against my opinions and my ideas, you're my enemy. Boy, don't that just sound just like Herod. Because Herod went to the extreme. Now, you may not go to that extreme, but you understand what I'm saying. Does anybody that threatens us, anybody who threatens our domain, anybody who threatens our influence, anybody who threatens our environment, anybody who threatens our ideas and perceptions and thinks differently than we do and threatens our kingdom, we want to go to the extreme and make sure everything's cut out so that we can remain king in our life. The problem with this is 
Either Jesus is going to be king in your life, or you're going to continue to allow Herod to rule in your life. Either you do it God's way, or you do it your way. And if you do it your way, it's the Herod's way. But if you do it God's way, it's the baby found in Bethlehem's way. You say, but pastor, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to live holy. I don't want to... No, no, no. That's Herod's way. God's way said, line up to my word. Do what I told you to do. That's my way. You want to do it your way. It ends up in death. Because the Bible says three years later, guess who died? Herod. Herod died. He died. And you know what's so absurd about this story? What is absurd about this story is that Herod desperately tried to hold on to a kingdom that wasn't his. And the things you try to hold on to so tightly, you end up losing. You know why you end up losing it? Because you put all of your self-worth and self-esteem and everything into that one thing and you end up losing it. Herod lost it all. He died a wretched man and lost his kingdom anyway. You know why he lost it? The Bible says in Luke 2.34, if Jeremy can turn it there for me, I want you to see this. Luke chapter 2, verse 34 and this is what the prophecy of Simon, Simeon said, or Simon, Luke chapter two, verse twenty thirty Luke chapter two, verse thirty-four. Luke chapter two and verse thirty-four. As Jesus was a baby, the prophecy was this. Then Simeon blessed them and said to mother his Mary, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Boy, if that prophecy didn't come true. Herod, you forgot about a prophecy, Herod. You were too busy searching all those scrolls with the wise men. You forgot the little old man in the temple that prophesied that this baby would cause the rising and the fall of many in Israel. Do you know why Herod lost it all? The prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 clearly states why he lost it. Herod lost it all because he failed to realize that although it wasn't his anyway, none of it was his. Nothing was his. He was just simply a steward of what God has given him. And the prophecy of that prophet Isaiah to his people for unto you a child is born, and unto you a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. You see, King Herod, the government was to never be upon your shoulders. King Herod, you thought it was all about you, and all for your glory, and all for your fame, but the scripture was so clear thousands of years ago by the prophet Isaiah that the government was going to be upon this son. The government was going to be upon his shoulders. What about it, folks? If you're not careful, 
There's that little bit of Herod inside of you. And he wants to rule. He wants to do it his way. And if Herod feels threatened, he will do whatever he has to do to stay on the throne in his life. And there are lots of people who will do whatever they got to do to stay in control of their life. Give up control. Let Jesus have control and let him be the king of your life. Take a risk and give it all to Christ. And let Him not only be Lord, but let Him be master of your heart and master of your soul. Let Him be your all in all. Hallelujah. That is the Christmas scandal. And part number three will be next week.